Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. I'm Ryan Pack, and this is Soundtrack Your Life. We'd like to thank you for listening, whether this is your first time or whether you're a longtime listener. And you can follow us on Instagram at SoundtrackCast and on Twitter at Soundtrack underscore your. You can also support the podcast by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash SoundtrackCast. We have a returning guest today. MJ from the Menage with Mary Jane Maven podcast is here. And she was the guest for our season two episode on Dazed and Confused. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was such, that was so much fun being on here, you know, talking about one of my other favorite movies and the soundtrack. Um, so I am so thankful for you to offer me the opportunity to come back and, and talk about another great soundtrack. So for our listeners who don't know about Menage with the Mary Jane Maven, why don't you let them know about that? Yes. Uh, so Menage with the Mary Jane Maven is my cannabis lifestyle wellness podcast um, but it really encompasses everything about me and my brand um, which is really about living your life passionately um, whether that is through the power flower which is cannabis um, or whether it's just living within your true passion or purpose combination of, of all um, either or or combination I'll say um, it has grown from a podcast from one podcast into me now hosting four podcasts um, it's also moved into merchandise and sometime in the future, I'm not trying to put a timeline on it because I'm really, you know, I'm kind of Aries control about like that, but, um, coming out with some actual tangible products as well that will be based, you know, within the brand, but we're, you know, we have a, a lot of fun this month. We're focusing on, you know, individuals that are within the industry, of course, you know, black owned businesses are very important as well. So I'll be doing a couple of highlights before this month is over um, and doing collaborations and, and really being um, featured kind of an, as an expert speaker is something that I'm venturing into as well. Um, so yeah, if you know, if you, if you kind of like my energy, like the way, you know, that I present myself and uh, my brand, then please join Menage with the Mary Jane Maven. The whole brand is the Mary Jane Maven lifestyle. Very, very cool. And how can people find you on social media if they want to learn more about you? Yes. So I think the best place, as I always say, Instagram and Twitter are like my um, fourth and fifth kids. So you can definitely find me there. I am on Instagram at the Mary Jane, which is M-A-R-I-J-A-Y-N-E, Maven, and the same on Twitter. So you'll be able to find me there, or you could just ask Auntie Google. Just go ahead and type in the Mary Jane Maven, and you'll be able to get to my website. You'll be able to, um, I like how Ryan mentioned, buy me a coffee um, as well. It helps us support. And I am going to be coming up with um, membership for, you know, um, other type of content. So we will have uh, some membership tiers that you will be able to join, support us, support the growth of my brand, and um, allow me to continue to educate, eradicate, and elevate, um, but also, you know, just kind of get the content out there with the hope that it'll change someone's life, you know, for the better. But you can, if, like I said, if you ask Auntie Google, it'll lead you to my webpage, my, my you know, pod page, 
the whole nine. There's so much and, you know, we'll be like 25 minutes in if, by the time that I finish listing everything. So we'll just go ahead and you, you guys follow me <laughs> there and, and we'll connect. Today we're going to talk about the 2002 Curtis Hansen film, Eight Mile. So why are we talking about Eight Mile today? Oh, because Eight Mile is, I mean, it's just, it's just an aspect of the wonderful Marshall Mathers um, that I, you know, I, uh, I adore, I say for a, a lack of a better term right now. Um, I am a hard, hard, hardcore fan, Stan. I probably was the first original of um, Eminem. I have met him twice um, or been in his presence twice, second time on his tour bus going back to, to the Bay Area. Besides that, I just, everything that he does, everything that he says, you know, it is still to this day, 20 plus years later, I listen to songs and I rewind it, you know, well, rewind it in today's sense, you know, go ahead and go back to listen to and to catch exactly what he said. Um, very talented. And, you know, I think that the way that hip hop is going and the way that it is, is that he's going to be someone relevant until, you know. He's, he's in his 60s, pretty close to 50 now, but, and he's still relevant and he's still able to reinvent himself, but stay relevant, even when, you know, TikTok generation tries to cancel him. But um, this is a very important time. This movie came out at a super important time in my life. I was in college. Um, we were at Davis, go Aggies. And Davis back then had shit to do, excuse my language, but nothing other than us going to like IHOP, and I'm not even sure if we had IHOP at that time. Um, but the movie theater, parties, that's all we had to do. And this, when this came out, I mean, I'm telling you, everybody was in that theater. It was, it was such a great time. And even, every time I watch it, I kind of get put back within, you know, that year and that time in my life, uh, which was a great, great time. Yeah, when this soundtrack came out, it was a monster. It sold, I believe, 700,000 copies in its first week, which I'm sure people listening today, like, that doesn't make any sense because people yeah. don't buy music anymore. But... Yeah, they're like, wait, what does that equate to streams? I don't, I'm not, I don't get it. No big deal. I mean, everything that Eminem did around that time, um, especially when it was selling, you know, units, was huge. We kind of had the hookup where at a, it was called Amoeba, right? It was Amoeba Records, right, hon? Yeah, Amoeba Records, sorry, Hubby's here, you know, listening, producing from this side. Uh, it was Amoeba Records who would actually let us know, you can come get this two days beforehand. Like, they knew how serious hardcore fans we were. So we'd go and get, back then, CDs, um, but get them early and have all the songs, you know, memorized by the time everybody else, you know, got them. So I do remember getting the soundtrack early as well. Yeah, for me, I think this is maybe the last Eminem project where I bought it, like, the day of. Okay. You know, I, I'm still aware of all his other work, but this is, I think, one of the last times where, you know, I had to get there the day it came out because I was so excited about it. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, to say that I remember sitting in the movie theater, I remember, like I said, everybody was there and we were, let's say, medicating beforehand. So the seats were kind of taken up, but I remember I was like, I don't care. I will sit on the screen to be able to watch this. So we were, if I'm not mistaken, like two or three rows back. And you know how hard, horrible that is to sit in a movie theater and watch something from, you know, underneath the screen. That's pretty much what you're looking up at. But you couldn't tell me anything. It felt like I was in the movie. Um, everybody, I mean, every, like I said, it was, you know, college town. So everybody that you can think of, 
people that we knew, everybody was there. Um, it was funny that you heard the crack, you know, the crack of the bottle of, uh, you know, a 32 or something like that. People snuck in things. You know, we were college students. I remember smelling chicken. <laughs> like, I think somebody had brought, like, chicken in the movie theater. But it's just, it's, uh, it's crazy how when you start thinking about it or when you hear the music again, at least for me, those smells come back. Um, you know, kind of the stickiness under my feet, that feeling comes back. Um, the fact that a friend and I, we were like, what up, doe, for months. And everybody was like, if you greet me like that one more time. <laughs> but that it was just the influence of and, and uh, that story and how great it was at the time. And to see that Eminem had this other talent. Because, you know, I'm sure everybody thought he was going to just drop the ball. And it was going to be a horribly act, you know, acted movie by another, you know, artist or another musician. But he did a damn good job. I think, you know, I think everybody, um, you know, Kim Basinger, I think she kind of came down on her acting just a little bit. What about me, Rabbit? <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> I think she, she brought her acting skills down just a, just a tad. But other than that, I think it was a, a well-acted movie. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love that. You know, he says he would never do it again. He would never, he doesn't really like to talk about it. And I get it because he was deep, deep in his uh, addiction at that time. What's crazy is that he was completely high through the whole movie. Like, completely. So I, I, you know, I would like to say to him, well, imagine if you're not high and you act. Imagine that. Imagine how great, how much just Oscar worthy you would probably be. But yeah, if, you know, I manifest that I will sit down with him one day and uh, I won't promise that I won't ask him a question about email or call him rabbit. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how long that interview goes. You know, obviously Lose Yourself is the big single from the soundtrack. It won the Oscar for Best Original Song. As far as movie songs go, this may be like the last big one where like everybody knows the song. Yeah. Um, I just say that or um, what hard out here for pimp. Yeah. Hustle and flow. I had to say that because I don't think that that is anywhere near the level of lose yourself. But in that instance, yeah, I do think that those were probably the last two, I would say. Because um, hustle yeah. and flow came out after. Yeah. Hard out here for pimp. Yeah, that came out after 8 Mile. Oh, 2005, um, yeah. But, yeah, okay, so just a few years later. So, yeah, so within that that kind of, that eight, you know, that that range of years. Um, but I knew, you know, if anybody watched the Super Bowl halftime show, um, I knew that that was a song. I knew, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I actually told my husband all of the songs what, that they were going to do prior to the show. Um, but I think that was, um, it was fitting. That was a, you know, a fitting song. He probably couldn't have got up there and done like Kim, you know. Right. He wasn't going to do Kill You. His, yeah. <laughs> or Stan. Like Stan would have been a weird choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Great, great, great. I, I doubt that he probably even thought um, that it was, it was going to be something that was eligible or even considered by those that make the decisions for the Oscars. You know, you wouldn't think that that was uh, his fan base. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I think a really big time. I mean, who else can say that, you know, what, what other rapper that was so, um, I want to say salacious, but you know, he definitely got pegged as a bad guy for so long that he would have turned around very soon in his career and won an Oscar. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely right about that. And one of the things that kind of shocked me as I rewatched this 
as I rewatched the movie is, you know, the, uh, the language in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't heard a lot of those slurs used so regularly. <laughs> and I know that it's, you know, trying to channel 1995. Yeah. So like, I get it in the context of the film, but it was still like, Whoa, wow. There's a lot of stuff that I watch now and I'm like, Oh, they could never reboot this show or, you know, or make this again, not with the same net with the same verbiage, you know, like you said, um, but very much, I think they did a great job at making you feel the mid-90s. Um, you know, someone I know may have been in high school at that time. Um, and it was a, <laughs> a my couple last people, year, last couple of years of high school. So, you know, hearing um, some of the some of the songs and, you know, when they were at the parties and things like that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, I, that is that's real talk. Like, I. I have memories associated with that time as well, or, you know, not a situation very similar. I wasn't, you know, at an underground place doing rap battles, but, you know, house parties are kicking it somewhere that you weren't supposed to. Our thing was like more motels and things like that. But just having the soundtrack that they played for that was supposed to be 95, 96 was very fitting. A lot of movies that are supposed to be nostalgic like that, they kind of drop the ball sometime with the music that they choose. It, it's either too early or it was way later than the time that they're trying to, you know, depict. So, Or they try to go like too pop, too much pop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Maybe so I pop. think we need to talk about the soundtrack and then the songs that are actually in the movie because I think only like a couple of songs are actually in the 8 Mile film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So obviously, "Lose Yourself" is like the big end credit song, and then you hear the song Eight Mile" as he's you know writing rhymes on the bus. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he's kind of playing that beat part. over and over again. Yeah, I I can hear it right now. Dun, 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 dun. Yep, we love it. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. Um, and you see him kind of pinning the song throughout the movie. You know, yeah, so you, you don't hear the completed song, you just hear yeah. him kind of working on the song. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is really, I think it's very, um, if you're an artist, if you're creative, um, you can relate to that. Like when he's writing and he's like, sometimes I feel like, with, you know, and just how he's writing things down and how, you know, Mike and how he's writing words and scratches that out and he turns the paper over. And, you know, it's um, it's interesting to see because, part of you wonders like is that his real process um but then another part like i said if you're really creative you can relate to it and i think for a lot of people who just started listening to hip-hop because of eminem like they didn't know how people wrote raps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at all they had no they had no um idea and you know now because of social media and because people share so much um well don't get me started on music and things of today. It doesn't really take too much behind your process when your songs are a minute and 45 seconds. Um, but it, it definitely allowed people to, I think, understand him, even though it was loosely based. I'm doing quotes as you, you can see it. But although it was loosely based on his life, we know that it was you know, a lot more than that. And I think that allowed people to understand him as an artist. And to not be so intimidated by what, what it is that he was saying, what he was doing um, as, as Eminem. It, uh, you know, kind of allowed that and, you know, lose yourself. I think, I mean, God, that's played it at like 9,000 games, you know, college games, professional sports games a year. I know it's a huge workout song in, you know, um, like cycling classes. 
<laughs> and things like that. But um, yeah, the the CD itself or the soundtrack itself, you definitely have to appreciate what he's doing versus like hearing it over and over and over in the movie. You know, knowing the songs, you are more you're related to maybe go finding out the um, was it Mob Deep? No, not Mob Deep. Was it Mob Deep? Yeah, Mob Deep starts um, off the movie. Yeah. Okay. So if you didn't know, you were you know more inclined to go search and find out what that song was in that scene, you know, Mob Deep song or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, like you said, the the actual soundtrack, I know we listen to incessantly. <laughs> so one thing I kind of noticed as I was going back through the soundtrack and all the different songs in the movie is this is 2002. You have Mob Deep, Jay-Z, and Nas all within this eight-mile film. So yeah. Mob Deep's not on the soundtrack, but they kick off the movie. You have Nas and Jay-Z both on the soundtrack. And, you know, there was major beef at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, it, I think that was purposely done. If I remember, if I recall seeing a uh, interview where that message was, you, have, you guys have fans and you made real, you know, rap fans. All, all of them, like even though that there was, you know, kind of beef going on at that time, nobody, one, one, nobody really focused on that beef unless you were, I think, more on the East Coast. The big, you know, beef at that time was East Coast, West Coast. Um, but if I recall, you know, um, Eminem saying in the interview that he wanted to, he wanted to kind of highlight that without highlighting it because he wanted them to know how much of a fan and how much, you know, of a lover of rap and hip hop he became because of them. But yeah, that, I recently found out there was, you know, like this huge beef that was going on. And I think it kind of shows the power and influence that he has as an artist to get the okay from everyone to be on the soundtrack together. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they would have been, that would have been a poor move if they didn't because of, like I said, the, the ability to make somebody who didn't know those, you know, those groups or those individuals or their music didn't know before they knew after, you know, so I'm sure there was a little bit of motivation or I'm sure that was in his, you know, his little, his pitch somewhere is look how many more eyes and ears will be on you because of this. Right. Um, yeah. That's, that's That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Because, you know, for a lot of people, they didn't really listen to hip hop yet. They just listened to Eminem. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. There's for a, sure. at the time there was a huge group of people that I feel like, didn't really know any rap other than Eminem. Mm -hmm. And no, this and, was and, like their gateway into, you know. Yeah. And to understanding that there was no real gangster rap, you know, that. And then to understanding like, oh, well, I do know more than Gin and Juice by, you know, Snoop or let me get into more of his discography. Oh, well, shit. I didn't know that Dr. Dre produced so much and that this is his background. I know that a lot more people became a little, uh, a lot more informed on the history and, um, you know, kind of, I don't want to say the struggles, but the history and the success that a lot of uh, hip hop artists and, and especially producers, um, their influence. And I think that after that time, you really start having kind of super producers more in the limelight. Now that I kind of think about it, you know, you had just got Storches and you have, you know, that came out very shortly after you had, you know, um, I mean, Pharrell, like crazy. I mean, Neptune. Yeah, Pharrell was wasn't a, before, yeah, Pharrell but, wasn't a household name yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying that I think kind of um, what this 
you know, what this helped to cultivate was a um, deeper understanding and respect for, for hip hop and then people actually doing the research to then consider themselves or to tout themselves as true hip hop artists or true hip hop lovers. You know, um, now you have people that are like, I'm a study of hip hop. You know, I'm, I'm a student of hip hop. And you get a lot more respect from that now, especially in when you have, when, you know, we, we end up having Kanye a couple of years later, you know, um, and your, I mean, I wouldn't really consider them, but you know, your, your Travis Scott's and things like that of today, I still don't think they probably know as much history of hip hop as they probably should, but I know around, I would say around those, you know, early 2000s, 2000 and 2010s, it really, you know, 10, it really allowed for people to, like I said, become comfortable with truly loving hip hop. And like I said, and showing the respect um, and admiration that it deserves by doing the due diligence and really finding out about the history and, you know, people that they said that they love. Like I said, I could be a little biased because I love Marshall so much, but I can say I know that's what he did for me. Like you said, I, I was probably one of the ones that listened to more pop hip hop, if you want to call it that, and like Tupac. That's, that would have probably been my regular prior to 99 being introduced through the, his very first CD, which was Ignite. But yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I hate to admit that I used to, you know, listen to, well, only because it was radio, listen to Ja Rule, and he is definitely not. <laughs> Definitely. So, <laughs> uh, I was listening to a lot of you know socially conscious hip hop tribe and okay, you know most def and quality a lot of the raucous stuff. Uh huh. So I, in a way, Eminem was kind of a bridge into the underground scene. From he was kind of a bridge from the underground scene into, I guess, some of the more popular artists. Yeah, I don't. I I don't either. I'll tell you that I got when I got with my husband and we were in college. You know, this is when you made mix CDs. Uh, so thanks to um, LimeWire. Yep. And, you know, and just, and you know, back then, if you know anything about those, um, you would go and like say, I'm going to download what I would, what I think is a Britney Spears song. But then it ends up being like a mix of a Jay-Z and something else. Like, honestly, that's how I started getting into his discography was by just like mistakes of downloading another song um, and which, which wasn't my mistake because a lot of people back then used to put other songs attached to other artists. Hence the, I don't know if you know the Soldier Boy story, but that's how he became huge is that he actually put his stuff out under another artist um, who was big at that time. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. You said you came out with Oh, sorry. My husband just showed me that as we're speaking. See, me and Marshall are connected. We are connected universally he just came out with another song like just now a video yeah he just dropped another one so he was just wow yeah i know see i'm telling you manifest it <laughs> i'm telling you it's all it's all there and you know who knows he may be waiting for this episode to come out he may know <laughs> that'd be crazy i would probably lose my mind lose it so i can't talk about this movie without talking about purple rain because i feel like this is kind of his version of purple rain yes i love that you make that connection Um, because you know he's playing kind of it's not really him but it's still pretty much just mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. and they you know he was able to shoot it mostly in michigan 
where he demanded, um, which I just learned about in the last week or so as well. Um, I've been doing a lot of more just, um, I know the music like the back of my hand. I know the movie. I could probably quote it. But I wanted to find out just more unknown trivia or, you know, things about it. And so I did find out that he, you know, he demanded that, one, he wanted the money to be put into, you know, back into his, his uh, town. Um, he wanted to try to help jumpstart Detroit being seen as a place where you could record movies and you could film, um, that it was okay, it was safe, you know, that it provided a lot of, um, of scenery and ambiance to it, a different, you know, more, I don't want to say gritty, but it was definitely more of a gritty, you know, um, worker type of town. It was definitely the 90s, you know. Um, so he wanted to kind of cultivate that. But that was one of the things that he demanded was that it was recorded there. Um, because I believe they wanted to, of course, record it in some part in, in L.A. And and he, yeah, so stayed true to where he, he where he grew up. And that's great, too, because I stayed true to the story, very much like Purple Rain. Right. You know? um, shot in Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah, Lake Minnetonka. Um, <laughs> I just watched that. And so these, this soundtrack and Purple Rain soundtrack is very funny that you say that. But my husband can attest, I've been doing nothing but listening to those two, other than just my normal, you know, YouTube mix or whatever, my YouTube music that comes up. But if I'm like in a mood, it's back to back to back to back. Um, deep love for both soundtracks, but it is very much, um, like I said, it's both are very indicative of telling their stories um, without actually being named Marshall. And um, I know Prince's real name. I know it. I know it. I know it. It was just the kid in the movie. Yeah, just the kid. But instead of him being, oh, not, gosh, what am I thinking? That's not that. I'm gonna, it's going to come to me. It's going to come to me. But instead of them playing, you know, just being their real selves. Um, kind of love story situation, you know, with, with Marshall. It wasn't a Kim type of situation. You know, he didn't, it was, that was completely different than his personal life. R.I.P. to Brittany Murphy. Oh, she's amazing in this movie. Oh, yes, Prince Rogers Nelson. See, I was thinking Roger Nelson, but Prince Rogers. Oh, oh his real name, yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought you were asking about his name in the movie. That's great. Yeah, so he just played the kid, see? He could have just gone by Prince, but um, but yeah, so a lot of the actors that were in that film as well, you know, like I said, I'm doing, you know, doing a little research, um, have has had a pretty, well, Mackay Pfeiffer, you know, Future, who was Proof, who's representing Proof. Of course, we know that he's had a, you know, a good career, but a lot of the, um, let's say the background, you know, the, the background people or the supporting cast, they've been able to continue a good, good career for themselves, which says a lot as well. I mean, you definitely want 8 Mile on your resume. I like Michael Shannon, who plays the mom's yeah. boyfriend, Greg. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's been in everything. He was the bad guy in the first Superman movie. The Man of Steel. Oh, see, yeah, he. Um, I saw him recently. We saw him something and something else, and my husband started sweet, singing "Sweet Home Alabama," but the version that they made up, you know, when they were working on the car. Right. Um, with Greg Buell. Yeah, Greg Buell. <laughs> he was an ass. He was an ass. He was the worst. So horrible. Yeah, so I guess we got to talk about Anthony Mackie, right? The Falcon. I Captain mean, America that, 2.0. I, yeah. Clarence. 
<laughs> Leaders of the free world. Yeah, because I call him Clarence. Like, if I if that man was right in front of me right now, I would call him Clarence, and he could say that's on my name. I'd be like, okay, Clarence. You know, <laughs> you had a you came from a, your parents had a real good marriage. Like, I would probably be the most annoying person to meet for somebody that's in that in that film. Um, they would be like, ma'am, you know, I've been in many other things. That is not really who I am. But yeah, he played that role. Um, he played that role well for him to not get stereotyped in that type of role throughout the rest of his career. Yeah. He did. It, yeah, it was you just think, a surprise. You know, you would, it's very like, oh, easy yeah, for Hollywood to, <laughs> to stereotype, especially a black man, and put him in the role of a gang leader. You know, they could it could have just professed itself, you know, progressed itself from there. He could have been coming, you know, a gang leader to a drug lord to this, you know what I'm saying? They could have easily, that's all that he, you know, was seen as. But I think the fact that, um, you know, Rabbit killed him in, in the final rap battle, that probably helped. And, and I know that this is a movie and it's whatnot, but this is a very true thing that happens within Hollywood is that people get stereotyped because of a role and especially one that kind of jumpstarts your career. So it could have easily happened. But I think because he didn't come out as a victor, you know, in the end, that that was something that allowed him to continue to move his career forward. Oh, interesting. Didn't really think about it that way, but that could definitely be part of it. Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, you know, if anybody also ever interviews him, feel free <laughs> to ask that question. But yeah, I mean, because look, he's relevant 20 years later. Oh, yeah, he's globally relevant now. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm sure most people that are fans, they may go when 8 Mile comes on TBS or wherever it comes on, you know, during, you know, on the, if anybody still has cable, I don't know why. But if somebody's watching cable and it happens to come across, then they go, oh, wait, that's, oh, I never knew he was in this movie. You know, I don't know how someone would live without not seeing this movie. My children have seen this movie many, many, many times on their own accord. Love it. No, I mean. It could be because we are just a household full of Eminem lovers here, but um, they know it. So I'm, you know, it, but I could definitely see that happening where somebody just happens to stumble upon Eight Mile, never seen it before, see him in that role, but because they're fans of what he's done in the later years, now they're like, oh wait, this is the beginning of his career, you know, and see him in another um, another light. So I would say that it's uh, it's definitely beneficial. I. I know that even some of the battle rappers um, in the film were actually battle rappers. The one, the one that he says, "I don't understand. We don't understand you." What word you say? Hibbly hoo Isn't he? Wasn't he? I was asking, I'm asking my husband, but isn't he a real battle rapper? Yeah, yeah. So I think he was like really in the battle rap scene, which is huge nowadays. I don't know if you're familiar or if anybody that listens is. YouTube it, there is some super freaking talent out there. And every time I watch one, I'm like, oh, Eminem would kill. Kill. I think that that's awesome as well is that he had people that were actually in the industry, and especially at that time, you know, in, in battle rap in the mid-90s, before it was even known as, as a thing, um, that he allowed them to have a role, you know, within the film. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's like Obi Trice is a parking lot rapper. Yeah. Obviously, Exhibit is in the movie. Yeah. 
it, you know, he's rapping in the lunch yard with uh, Eminem and and Ms. Corona. Yes, She's the uh, female in that in that scene. But yeah, you know, everyone that that is rapping in the movie, they they're yeah. legitimately battle yeah. battle rapping. Yeah, I read a review of the movie. You know, as we were researching this and. Um, one review was like, you know, they film the end battle rap scenes like you're in a boxing movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very interesting. I mean, I, de- I definitely noticed the camera work like during the battles, like, you know, they're not just like standing back and watching these two people with a microphone They're They, you know, there's a lot of close up shots and a lot of the camera moving. And it does really feel like you're watching two people box. Yes. And, and you feel like you're right there. Like you feel like you're on your you know, uh, courtside, especially I noticed that too, especially the shots where they show them rapping, but then they show the audience and that shot, because it's so packed in there, it seems like it's going on. You know, it's just like the room is just continue people just on top of people on top of people. And then you feel like you're just on like, you kind of feel like you're like on stage, like you have a VIP, you know, um, view of it. But that is, that is very interesting that you notice that because that's something that we, like I said, we've watched it many times. And um, I think we were watching it with my son when he noticed that. He was just like, why, you know, why is the camera moving like that? Why don't you just stay right in front of them? Um, so, yeah, that was, that was something that was manifested by, like, a, I believe a 10-year-old at that time is when he asked that question. But, it, uh, um, you know, you had such good directors and, a direct, you know, um, DPs and, and things like that that were involved to make the film as um, well recorded and as it was, you know, it was so much more than what was just actually happening on the screen. You know, the, the, the lines and the emotion that were coming from the characters, it was definitely how it was being set up and how it was shot. So, uh, yeah, that is uh, very true. And for someone who's rewatched those scenes, especially the, the battle scenes, the end battle scenes, over and over and over and over again, you definitely notice different stuff here and there. Um, you notice or you can hear different things. The last time I watched it, I remember turning up the volume or changing, you know, the, the way that the volume comes through on the television. And you heard much more of like Cheddar Bob saying stuff, you know, like his people saying stuff in the audience as he was going on. Things that I didn't notice in the actual movie theater, um, which sets towards the ambiance and yeah, the girl from Making the Band was right in the front. Yeah, one of the Making the Band uh, <laughs> people. Yeah, Sarah, she's right in front. But yeah, so that's something that I, I really admire. Did did Brian Grazer have something to do? The director of... Um, he produced it. He produced it. There we go. Okay. That's what it was. I was he was... Uh, did he get a... Did he get an Oscar nod too during this time? Brian Grazer? Yeah. Let's see. Let me just, I'll just type in with Auntie Google here and ask really quick. Me a beautiful mind. Yeah, no, not for this. You were probably nominated. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Yeah, like an, a, a nod, a nomination nod. You know, I speak sometimes as if I'm, you know, in the industry. Or work on Access Hollywood or something. Um, yeah. So I know that he says he was very proud of it and that he, you know, wishes that he could um, convince 
Marshall to do a follow-up. But I know one question I have for you is if you ever thought that this, if it needed one, like, do we need an eight mile two? Do we need to see, you know, rabbit actually maybe get a, a record deal or, or something like that? Do you, of course I would love to see it just because I'm being selfish, but <laughs> do you, do you think that, I mean, of course not now, 21 years later, it could happen since everybody makes follow-ups and reboots to stuff now. But do you think that's something that would have been as big as the original? I think it would have done well at the box office because, you know, I'm sure everyone would have wanted to to see what 8 Mile 2 or whatever they would have called it. I'm yeah. Sure they, it would have been, you know, people loved the first one. But I just don't think, I don't think people would be watching it 21 years later like we watch this one. Yeah, it's like Grease and Grease 2. Like nobody likes to watch Grease 2. Um, you don't like, I'm not saying I do, but I I have some podcast friends who did a, uh, recent episode on Greece one and two great podcast called, uh, when cinephiles attack. Oh, it just kind of made me laugh. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to listen to that because we've always talked about it. We're like, who likes it? And then they try to really tout it. Like it's just as good. Um, you know, I know Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, kind of started her career in that, but she should really, really get that, like, just scrubbed from the internet and from all of our minds. But she was, <laughs> that was, it was so not good. It was, it's so, in no way possible, stood up next to, to original Grease. I don't hear people, when I, when I go to a karaoke, I've never heard anybody break out a Grease 2 song. <laughs> not once. <laughs> there was no Bee Gees, you know, ultra mix of any Grease 2 song. But there wasn't, you know, the original Grease, so, yeah. Well, you, I should well, definitely you haven't hung out with the podcast. cinephiles, I guess. Yeah, I should definitely, definitely listen. Honestly, I'm, like, very passionate about it. That is one of my all-time favorites as well, and I always wanted to play, uh, you know, the main role when I was in theater, when I was in drama, um, and instead I got the role of Rizzo, and I was like, wait a minute, I am definitely much more Rizzo. Um, still to this day, relate. My husband looks at me crazy if we watch it because I act out all, you know, her scenes. And I'm like, I just need somebody to, you know, to slap because I got to slap somebody in it. But I digress. We go on. So, yeah. <laughs> but I like, I like um, what you're saying. I think it, would, it probably would have been big just because of who Eminem was. In all likeliness, it would have come out within three, you know, three years of when the movie came out before. And he was doing great in, you know, early 2000, 2005, 2006. Like, he was still still super relevant just coming off tour and being you know getting ready to come out with another another album so i think it would have it would have uh created some buzz but like you said definitely wouldn't be something that you know people put on i you know i like when we're just kind of working late night and nothing's on tv and we've you know youtube down of youtube um we are like let's just go ahead and pop on eight mile um so yeah it's it's definitely one of those well, I guess, you know, obviously Eminem super um, influential, you know, and he's kind of like the, everyone calls him like the first big white rapper, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's been plenty of white rappers to come on the scene after him with varying levels of success. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about Macklemore. Oh, <laughs> oh yay. <laughs> I think this will be a... F- so, so, you know, so when Eminem came on the scene, like he had, he came out on Aftermath. So he had like Dre's cosign, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And then when Macklemore won the Grammy for Best Rap Album, you know, everyone was like, oh, is he authentic rap? And is it because like, is it because of the music or is it because he didn't come on the scene with like a cosign? Like Mac Miller had like all these like underground LA rappers on yeah. his side. Is it is it because of the lack of cosign or is it because like the beats? Um, I think it was because, and shout out to Mac Miller because I love, 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 love him as well. Um, but for Mac Moore, I'm not going to lie. Um, was it Thrift Shop that first came out? Great song. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what is this? It was different. But when it became a song that was similar to like Baby Shark, when it was like a kid song, then that's when any, I'll say clout, since we're going to speak in 2022 terms, any clout that he may have built up completely, completely was, uh, you know, demolished. I think it was because the the material, I think it was because, yeah, the lack of, of, of somebody else in the game that already had, you know, the influence. Um, and then I also think it was because we can't we can't knock Macklemore for not having the same swag that Eminem has, and that's because they kind of had a different upbringing. You don't, you know. I know that he has his own story and his own um, battle with addiction and things like that. But you coming from Eminem coming from Detroit, from Eight Mile, and you know, living in a trailer park, and then you have Macklemore who's from. Uh, Seattle uh, Seattle yeah 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 you know what I'm saying you don't just get people that are like I'm ch-, you know you just it, it's that combination I think it's that he had a and, and like I said no shame or no you know nothing no shade to to Macklemore you are who you are you don't you didn't have that that rapper swag you didn't have that Macklem- um Mac Miller did you know um it's just I, it's it's a feeling it's an emotion it's an energy that you give off and I don't think that Macklemore had that. So that, unfortunately, I think played to his, his detriment. I mean, you go back before that. I love me some Vanilla Ice. Loved him. I was also in sixth grade. Um, right. And we didn't have any, you know, we didn't have a opposite, a polar opposite to compare him to. He just never re- really grabbed the respect of the game, period. He was more pop rap at that time, even though there wasn't one developed. You know, he was the new kids on the block of, of rap. Right. Girls loved him. So, you know, then you have somebody who really, really, really lived a hip-hop story and who's super talented. I mean, you can't deny, you can't just say that, you know, I can't just say that he was accepted or Eminem's accepted because of his background. He's accepted because he's fucking raw. He's like, he's, he's a great, great, great lyricist um, and came out doing what nobody else was doing and what nobody thought that he could do or even a white rapper. Yeah. yeah, I was just kind of curious because, you know, um, yeah, like I'm not here to like slam Macklemore. Oh, yeah. No, no. But, you know, when that controversy came up about like, oh, well, is he really rap? And I was like, what he's doing is rapping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's not yeah. a question. Yeah. And they're like, oh, is he like authentic? I was like, he's not like, it's not like they raised him in a, te- you know, in a lab. Yeah, like they create right. him in a test tube. Like he's just some guy from Seattle who raps. Yeah, but, you know, who has the uh, you know who has that uh, that creativity. He has that interest. He has that drive. I mean, it's very similar to you know back in the day, people saying that Fresh Prince wasn't really rap because he was happy and because he didn't curse. Um, big deal about him winning the first Grammy for rap. You know, people thought that it should have been at that time an NWA or you know somebody like that because that's what was 
that was that's what was prevalent and what defined hip hop. So kind of that same thing, you know, Macklemore had his impact that he needed to have when, because he did have some great songs that told great stories. And I think that he had his, his, um, his place within hip hop at the time. Now, will he ever get a hip hop, you know, Hall of Fame nominee? Probably not. But if you look back over hip hop and then if you look back over white rappers and hip hop, he does have a place. He will be, you know, next to the, the Yellow Wolves and, um, you know, who also had Eminem's kind of co-sign, but still he didn't go as far as what you would think that, you know, he would as having Eminem's co-sign. I can't stand Logic, but Logic was good at the time for a little bit. Suicide Squad song was his probably best thing that he's ever done. Other than that, he whined so much. Um, yeah, I I think Mac Miller's probably would have been the next, um, the next well-respected, um, white rapper in the industry we're not even seen as a white rapper but as a rapper um, because he he truly you know had that talent but you know unfortunately we lost him as well yeah those Um, last two records are amazing so good so so good i yeah i over pandemic let's just say i played self-care a lot my neighbors are probably like good lord is she okay over there a lot but i just love I love how uh, vulnerable he he is, and he was, you know, on his music. Um, very similar to Marshall. Very. Um, yeah, like a different energy, but yeah, you know, yeah, very open. Yeah, I just think, like I said this the other day, um, I follow Haley, love her to death. Her and my son are just a little bit. My son's like just about a year or two younger than her. Um, I feel like they grew up together, and he's like, Mom, I don't know her. You, we realize you don't. We don't know her, right? Um, but following her and seeing her growth and seeing, you know, her still going to college and making her own way for herself and everything. But I'm just like, how dope is that to be like, Eminem's my dad. Eminem's my dad. And then to really have an understanding of who he is, because if you listen to his music, you know, you know who he is. You understand the mistakes that he made when you were younger and then who he is now. Um, I think that's really, really dope. So, you know, if, if Mac Miller had a child, and you know, and he still passed, that child would at least have his discography to get a better understanding of who he was and what he was going through. You know, it's definitely a journal, a journal of their life. So I think that's pretty cool. And Eminem just recently helped his mom open a spaghetti stand. I cannot wait for that to be. I mean, I really, I wanted to go to LA this weekend just for two things. One, there's a something in the cannabis industry it was called the black box that was being put out by um, women who opened their, uh, the first black woman. And they were actually backed by JC, Josephine and Billy. So if you guys are in LA anywhere, go check them out. They have um, a speakeasy um, lounge um, and a dispensary, but they put together a, a very, um, I want to say a, a, the upper echelon of, of black cannabis owners. And they all put together into a box um, that some of that is going towards equity and going towards, you know, other, um, other organizations within the industry, but it was a box that you go and purchase. And so I wanted to go get one of those and I wanted to go to the pop-up of mom's spaghetti. And I told my husband, if we got down there, I was getting all three things because there was only three things on the, no, four things on the menu that they were having. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've bought every single magazine he's been on and had the laminated, um, you know, whatever he puts out, if it's 
his tw 20 year of an album and he puts a special one out and he has clothes with it or whatever. I'm like, I'm on it. Um, I'm one of those. Like, I'd be one of those people in a few years that they'd be like, the woman with the biggest M&M collection and like I have a full bedroom. That's just nothing. But, but um, yeah, I would love for that to be franchised. I, yeah, that's like the pop-up of the Saved by the Bell when they had the Max. I was obsessed with it for a very long time. Um, and this place is my new obsession. So, and it's actually pretty good from what I hear. And I think that's also that, because so many people want to tout on how he talked about his mother. So many people. And it's like, how many of us have just been at it, our parents' throats, or been at each other's throats in our lifetime, and have thought or said things, maybe not to the extent of, you know, of what he said artistically, but how many of us, and especially at a time in our lives in our 20s to 30s, that we just did not check for our parents? Like, they don't know what they were talking about. You know, um, those people that aren't that accountable yet, you, you, you put your shortcomings and things like that on your upbringing and on your parents. But he's almost 50 years old now, and they have a better relationship, and I'm sure she gets a nice check from him to take care of herself every month. Um, you know, I'm sure she's, she's over, you know, they're over the things that they did to each other because let's not forget she tried to sue him. Um, right. So, but I think that's I think that's dope that he is. You know he doesn't drink he does, so he's of course not going to come out with his own tequila, you know um, he doesn't smoke anymore so he's not going to jump into his own cannabis brand or if he does we won't know you know he'll be a very 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 quiet investor. So, what's not that I don't know who took the idea to him but they were that's genius Mom's Spaghetti Restaurant, genius. It is the legacy of Eight Mile, Mom's Spaghetti. Yeah. 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 So I wonder if it's going to turn into a larger thing because I could see like Eight Mile, like a, like a diner, you know, like an Eight Mile diner. Just the sign, just the sign that I visualize alone from the album cover that, you know, that neon sign that says Eight Mile on the trailer park. I could totally see that as like a restaurant too. Um, hey, maybe, maybe I should get to him with that idea <laughs> an eight mile not really trailer park themed but an eight mile you know kind of truck stop kind of a you know little diner i'm thinking of alice the old tv show i'm really dating myself but um <laughs> like a diner like that that'd be kind of cool i do love that he showed up at the grand opening and like yeah. served like the first but 10 customers or something yeah yeah like popped his face out the window and people were like shocked as hell i probably would have fainted probably even though I've, I've already met him twice i've been in his existence like presence existence everything felt his energy breathed in the same air that was also 20 years ago so i probably probably my husband probably like i'm so sorry she is <laughs> a little crazy for you. i mean i used to wear a ring when i met my husband i say that i was married I'll never forget his frat brother met me the first time. And when I left, he told him, like, she's cool, but bro, she's married. And my husband's like, she's not. She's talking about that she's married to Eminem. And everybody, <laughs> I remember they're like, so is she okay? Is she all there? And he's like, no, she's just a super, super fan. But yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I know that it made a lot of money or it did very well because of the Super Bowl. You know, and him being there for the halftime show. So his little pop-up did, did great. Back to the Super Bowl halftime show. I do like that he did like a, a kneel to end lose mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah. And he probably like told like Snoop and Dre like 
if I do it, what's the NFL going to do? Because mm-hmm. I'm white. Yeah. Yeah. I um I thought about that. I said, I wonder if, you know, they threw a fit, you know, because media is media. I think a lot of stuff is made up. They're saying that they told him not to do it. And Dre came out and he's like, no, nothing like that happened. Like they actually changed some things to allow us to do whatever we wanted to do. You know, it was more of a negotiation because you have to admit, there was probably a lot of people that turned their TVs off for that 30 minutes because it was all hip hop, you know, um, halftime show. So, you know, there was probably some that were just not pleased with that. But I do know that in order for them to make that deal, Dre is not, they're not, well, first of all, they don't get paid. So it's not like any of them are hard up for the exposure or the money, any of them. So the fact that, they, you know, there had to be, um, you know, a, I don't want to say a mediation, but there had to be, you know, some type of agreement from each side. Um, and some, you know, there had to be a little give and, and take on, on each side. But the fact that they got it done is, you know, fantastic. Um, I love that he kneeled. Some people were like, oh, no, he's kneeling because of Pac. And we're like, no, you don't kneel because of a rapper who's passed away. You, do you guys not remember what the kneeling's for? I mean, he made it very clear. Um, like in his freestyle that he did, his BET freestyle that he did uh, in 2017, where he just completely tore up Trump and any survivor, you know, any supporter of Trump, he's made his, you know, his thoughts known. He's not very shy about it. So, I mean, I was geeking out during the whole time, you know, just geeking out and recording it and everything. But I noticed that and I thought that that said a lot. Um, you know, he one of the things, like I said, that I respect about him is that he doesn't hold his tongue. And now that he is almost a 50 year old man, he sees things differently than when he was, you know, 25. Um, you know, he was talking about Christina Aguilera and NSYNC and things like that. Like he's it's so far from that. So it's nice to see that. And it's nice to see that he hasn't forgotten and even though he was performing at the Super Bowl, he was also letting his, you know, his position be known and where his support was. So I thought that was, I thought that was awesome. And now the, I saw today how Eminem became the new leader of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was like, ah, really? Who? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that was his goal, you know. No. Um, but I, it, it says a lot. I mean, a week later and people are still talking about it. One thing is I notice is you know that he doesn't really perform. He doesn't go on tour in the United States. He only goes on tour like across seas because he feel, or overseas because he feels like there's less temptation and things like that over there. But I'm wondering how, um, how anxiety filled and how anxious he was because that was a lot of people to perform in front of, in front of. a lot, just within that stadium. So I'm wondering if he, you know, felt, felt any kind of, um, Anything that he used to feel before, which is part of the reason why he, you know, why he would medicate and not medicate with the good plant, but with other stuff. So I'm wondering if that's still a struggle for him or if he was okay with it, if he was just focused. I know it was a great performance with Anderson Pock and, you know, the live, the live music. I think that added something different to it. Yep. It made it even more powerful of a performance. Yeah, it was great. It's one of the few halftime shows where you wish it was longer. Yeah, yeah, really. I, I put it in. Michael Jackson, you know, um, still, you know, Janet and Justin, once you got a boob shown, um, NSYNC and Aerosmith, and then, and then this one. I would say those are the, the best um, halftime shows performances to me. But it definitely, it could, I felt like they could have done, you know, another song each. Right. They could have, but it was, it was great. Mary J. Blige looked great. You know, um, it was awesome to see Kendrick Lamar because you don't, you know, he's taking his break and like he wants to. 
So you don't really see too much of him. Um, so it was nice to see him. It was and nice he brought to see it. choreography. It was nice to see, you know, the dancers sea walking, you know, with Snoop. It was awesome to see. I don't know if you saw the clip of Snoop, like right before he went on stage, he was medicating. He was like right off the right off the stage on the on the field in his little box and he was he was getting nice and elevated for his performance. And I think that says a lot of about our times too, because I think if that had been something that happened, you know. 10, 15 years ago, that would be the headline. Snoop caught smoking before his performance, but now it's just very tongue-in-cheek and people are laughing about it and, you know, you didn't see any, he didn't have any misstep in his performance. Um, but yeah, I think it was, I think it's what we needed to kind of come out of this funky two, past two years that we've had. I know it's very minute, but it's very minute things like that that actually, you know, can kind of help bring people back together and, and bring some different energy into the universe. Sure. So, is Prince not in your top five Super Bowl performers? Oh, my husband just looked at me. He just just looked at me. I said, "You guys said the same thing at the same time." Um, did I name five? Let's see: Janet, Michael, Elsmith. Okay, so he would be my fifth. I named four. So yes, so he would be in the five as well. Um, yep. There you go. When when you exit the Paisley Park tour, they drop you into a room where you can just watch the Super Bowl halftime show that Prince did on loop. My gosh, I, yeah, you, you, yeah, you just got me just like mind blown. Uh, just can you imagine though if that had been if the the performance had been provided through like virtual reality or the metaverse as they're calling it now? That would have been pretty crazy. I know. Yeah, I, you just yeah, you just got my mind going. I'm like, oh, can I watch Purple Rain? Could I watch him before <laughs> the Purple Rain soundtrack when I write it? That would be awesome. For me, you can't beat uh, him playing that song and then it raining in real I, life. Right. You know? Um, that's because he's just, you know, he's, I don't want to say he's a sorcerer, but he's just, just great. I mean, I, I listen to Purple Rain and just to you know, do, make this really quick, but I don't think people can respect like what he was saying, like in Computer Blue, um, you know, just the setup of the whole, the whole playlist, the whole, whole soundtrack, it tells a story. It's kind of like watching a opera. Um, and I mean, that's just kind of the way that, you know, that, that I see it and that I, um, that I admire it. And I just don't think that people really understand. I know there's some people who really like, when he passed away, because I mean, huge, you know, we're in music household, my boys knew who he was. They knew how big of like a loss that it was. And when my oldest went to school and said something about it, his peers were like, who? What? I don't know that. Like, it's very sad that I'm like, there's some individuals that don't have the blessing of knowing Prince's music or even just Purple Rain, like in their lives. Yeah. Um, now, mind you, I probably shouldn't have been watching Purple Rain at 10, 11 years old. I was, but now that I look back on it, I'm like, oh, why? I see why parents were like, cover your eyes at certain parts. <laughs> Not that I did, you know, I covered it in peace. But um yeah. He uh he we've lost we've we've lost a lot of musical talent, you know, recently. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Um well thank you, MJ, for being on the podcast again. No problem. It is always a pleasure. I mean, I feel like once we get on, 
you know, the time you've been on mine and the couple times that I've been on your podcast, you know, we're just talking like old friends who haven't talked in a bit, you know, and get on the subject. And now we're talking about music. Um, just like I said before, I love your platform because music is such a huge part of everyday existence. If there was no music, there would be no life. Um, you've actually motivated me to come up with a merchandise line, which is going to be a graphic t-shirt line um, called Music and Mary Jane. And it's going to just be quotes of songs that I love, like, and, and the artists that said them. Um, and it's kind of, like I said, motivation from the last time I was on your podcast. And because I like to do everything at once, I'm just kind of planning it slowly. So um, that will be coming out. But what your show, you know, what your podcast does, I think, like I said, for those that are music lovers and for people that maybe don't even realize how much music um, movies and, you know, that actually plays into your, mem your best memories, you know, you do a great job at facilitating, you know, that, um, those emotions. So well, thank, thank you. you so much. Um, it's always a pleasure to be able to come on and talk, talk, talk like I love to do, but especially when it has to do with, you know, great movies like 8 Mile and the soundtrack to it. So I really do appreciate you. Yeah, I'm so glad that we were able to bring you back. And if my listeners want to learn more about your platform, um, why don't you give a plug for your uh, social media again? Yes. So at the Mary Jane Maven, and that is T-H-E-M-A-R-I-J-A-Y-N-E, Maven, M-A-V-E-N. Go ahead and you find me on social media. That's going to be my Instagram and my Twitter. Um, you, If you go to my Instagram, you're going to be able to Find the links to my website, to my um, pod page, um, and to, you know, some other platforms where you'll be able to find me. I am also the host of four total um, podcasts. So if you do follow me or, you know, contact me through one of the venues, Instagram, Twitter, you'll be able to find out the other podcasts. If you're a lover of the boondocks, I am one third of a panel of women who we review the podcast um, each episode each week. Um, I do have a more of adult podcast between my husband and I um, called Soulmates and Swingers. And then I have a podcast with a couple other women, um, and it's called Don't Talk, Just Listen. And it's a women's wellness um, podcast where I kind of tell you why you don't have a man. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just a great, it's a, it's a great conversation between girlfriends, and it's from women to other women, women that's, you know, been where you're trying to go. Um, so we want to help you get to where you're trying to go. So those are the, the four different episodes, pod, podcasts that I have. And then, like I said, you can find me through Instagram, Twitter, and just ask good old Auntie Google. So give MJ a follow. And if you want to follow us, we are at SoundtrackCast on Instagram and at Soundtrack underscore your on Twitter. And sound, and we are at buymeacoffee.com slash SoundtrackCast if you'd like to contribute to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you once again. Good night, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out, too.